It's so good to be together. Um, we're going to go jump into scripture. We actually have quite a, a bit of passages to read through. Um, I said in the first service, it's weird to feel somewhat apologetic to say, hey, we're going to read a lot of verses. Um, uh, it says something about uh, how much time we spend in scripture that for me as a pastor to read a lot of verses, I feel a little shy. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. Uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Acts. We're going to be reading from chapter 4 to chapter 5, and then we're going to be reading a passage in chapter 6. Um, the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's a fascinating glimpse that we are provided into the first followers of Jesus. If you've ever wondered what this thing called church is about, um, I wish I understood what it means to be part of the people of God and follow Jesus. We actually have an insider look, like a manual, to go through and understand this community that Jesus created called the church. And we're going to be looking at two really profound instances in this first community of followers of Jesus as we continue this series about the kingdom of God already but not yet as we continue the series and actually conclude it. Today will be the last sermon in the series. And so Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and onward says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the, of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up about three hours, wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, 
And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I'm going to pause and pray. (laughs) Imagine being an usher that day at church. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to read the next verses. God, be with us as we go to your word. We want to see you. We want to meet you. We want to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him. Give us understanding hearts to hear and understand the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. If you're joining us today and you haven't been hearing the sermons online, um, we've been in this series that concludes today titled Already But Not Yet. And what we've been looking at is this idea, this concept that we hear Jesus say quite a bit in the Gospels. And the concept, the idea is the kingdom of God. And some of the things that we've talked about thus far is that when we hear the word kingdom, we tend to associate that that means some celestial, eternal destination, the afterlife. But actually, when Jesus used that term in the, in the, in the original language, it means the place where the king rules. And so the kingdom of God means where the king has rulership. And so it's an interesting thing to unpack Jesus' use of this term in light of that definition. And we've talked about during this series that if we look at how the prophets describe the coming Messiah and how we tend to interpret his coming, sometimes we can think that, we're, that when people talk about justice and we talk about the kingdom making right things that are wrong in this world, it, we can easily think that we're talking about a different Jesus, But actually, it's in his original job description, so to speak. It was what the prophet said he would do. The Messiah would arrive and he would make things right. But we talked about also sanctification and how Jesus is changing us within. But this tension where we're putting off the old man, we're putting on the new. We talked about divine healing. Today, I want to point out a really interesting pattern that emerges in the book of Acts that I think will be incredibly helpful for us to see our lives through the lens of this pattern, to understand what the kingdom of God looks like with respect to the church. 
So we're going to talk about the church and the kingdom of God. The church and the kingdom of God. The passages we read in Acts are absolutely mind-blowing. Acts chapter 4, we read that at this time in the church, imagine this. It says that there was no one who had any needs that were not met. Because the church at that time was living with such radical generosity and hospitality toward one another that we read that it says anybody who owned lands or homes were selling their lands and their homes, bringing the proceeds to the church for it to be distributed to the poor among them. Imagine this, that this is what's happening. Whenever you see radical generosity of that note, and it's done in the name of Jesus, it's a powerful evidence that the kingdom is present. Jesus' rule creates these kind of miraculous instances. But we also read that in the midst of that, the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection with great power. And so there's healings, there's miracles, there's distribution of food to the poor. There's radical generosity. This is all happening. The kingdom is clearly present, but it's not fully present. Because then we read of an instance where a husband and wife contrived together in order to lie. And it was a lie that was quite offensive. Because what they did was, while everybody was selling their properties and their homes and bringing it to the, to the church, <coughs> everyone had this understanding. This is what we're doing right now. We're all doing this. And so as they brought the proceeds of their home and their land, they were letting everybody think, oh, yeah, we sacrificially sold everything, and we're doing what everybody else has done. But yet we read secretly they came up with a plan to keep some of it back. And Peter says, why'd you do this? It, this? Like, this is all willful. Nobody's being forced to do this. In other words, you didn't have to give it all. But the fact that you chose to give, and then on top of that, you chose to lie in order to appear spiritual, in order to appear really committed, this is, why'd you do this? And we read that at that moment, they, they, they paid the ultimate price. They died. God judged them. In the midst of the church service. I don't know about you, but that would be an unforgettable church service. <laughs> My gosh. It says that he dies. And then it says that his wife didn't know what happened. Husbands and wives, you should text each other. Keep in touch. Because <laughs> she shows up and she doesn't know what happened. And he asks her, did you sell all this? How the, your property for this amount and she went on with the lie and we read that she was judged as well if you ever wanted a moment in scripture that conveys God's heart for the poor for the vulnerable and how offended he is when they are denied justice and equity know that even to his own followers he would judge we see in this moment the kingdom was present, but it's clearly absent as well. It's not there as evidenced by this moment that's absolutely heart-wrenching. But it doesn't stop there. We go to Acts chapter 6, and we read of something really amazing. 
the church at this time was doing a daily distribution of food for widows. Now, in that time, one of the most vulnerable states of life was to be a widow. If you were a widow, you had no one to defend you, no one to care for you. In a male-dominant society, you, had, you probably had very little to survive off of. You're just left alone. And yet, look at what the church is doing. They're providing for the most vulnerable. You've ever read James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Pure religion is this, that we care for the orphan and the widow. And so the church is absolutely doing what the church should do. The kingdom is present as widows are being cared for. And yet we read that there was a group of widows that were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And what was the basis of their neglect? Because they were Hellenists. They were Greeks. So the Hebrew widows were being cared for. Meanwhile, the Greek widows were not. Do you know how dark your heart has to be to deny a poor old woman food? This is insane. And who was doing this? Followers of Jesus. The kingdom was clearly present. There's generosity. There's sacrificial giving. The vulnerable are not being ignored. And yet, there is an instance where along racial lines... Some were being mistreated and neglected. This is happening in the church. You see, what, what these moments really pull out for us is that in the same church, there was people being healed. The poor and the marginalized were receiving love. But also there was a lack of care for the marginalized as well. There was hoarding. There was racism. When we're not aware of the reality of the kingdom of God, hypocrisy and disobedience breed. And it tends to grow in us to a point where we who should be the biggest advocates and proponents for the increase of Jesus' rule, we could find ourselves actually functionally at odd with it. Resisting the very rule of Jesus that we need. Let me take a step back and kind of relay it to our lives. And we're going to keep digging in the text. But in your own life, if you took a quick inventory, what are some areas in your life that you could honestly say, I don't see the king's rule here. I don't see Jesus ruling in this area of my life. It could be a, a space in your soul. There's certain emotions and memories that Jesus is not Lord over. And when they stir up, you don't know what to do with it. It could be habits. It could be relationships. It could be your finances, it, 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 your career, your relationship to work, your neighbors. It could be all sorts of things. But also, what areas of your life do you see actually the rule and reign of Jesus present? Where do you see his grace overcoming your weakness? Where do you see his strength? Where do you see the fruit of the spirit? Where do you see the power of his presence at work and you becoming more and more Christ-like? In each of us, there is an absence of the reign of God and the presence of the reign of God. I'll give you an example. Um, so my son, Michael, um, he honestly 
and I mean this respectfully for my other kids, um, I think he's like the smartest little Hernandez. Um, and I have a smart kids. They say this too. Um, they believe he's the smartest Hernandez. But he also is the one that needs a lot of programming socially um, because he just says things that he doesn't realize. I'll give you an example. He once told um, his grandmother, he says, I love mom more than you. And she was like, no, of course, you're supposed to. But that wasn't enough. He was like, no, 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 grandma. I really love mom more than you. You know, you know what I'm, she was like, yes, I understand. I was like, I don't think you understand. He, he dug in and was like, afterwards, like, hey, man, you just like decimated her soul. Don't do that, you know? And so I need all the resources I can get. I grabbed, I grabbed the book that I thought could be helpful. And you're probably going to laugh. The book was written by a former FBI hostage negotiator. Um, the book is called Never Split the Difference. And so I'm like, I need tactics. I need resources. Because when the kid digs his heels in, it's intense. And so I'm working it this one night. He, was, he didn't want to go to bed. And so I'm, I'm, I'm employing the tactics in the book. And it's working. All of a sudden, I see him. He's negotiating with himself. That's one of the tactics. You just like set it up so that they, so he's like talking. I'm like, this is working. And then I kept, I threw in something else. They say one thing is to employ the late night DJ voice. It soothes. It's like, now Michael, do you, I'm doing it all and it's working. And then all of a sudden, it's like he came out of the trance and he said, no. And I was just like, you go to bed now. You know, like, I lost it. And then I had to apologize. I had to ask for his forgiveness. Pray with me, Michael, please. It's an area of my life where I often say, where is the rule of Jesus? I need his kingdom to come here, among many other areas. But I, I think it's important to note the utter honesty of Scripture that in the very scriptures we read, we are given an image of the church and the warts are not removed. We're shown an image of the church that's brutally honest. It's one of the things I love about scripture and that affirms my faith that man didn't write this book because if we wrote it, we would have been a lot more flattering about ourselves. That's inspired by God. And when you look at it so utterly honest. The church is not presented in any kind of romanticized way. I, I, I think of one of my funny, the funniest quotes I ever heard was Homer Simpson's theology. You ever heard this? Homer Simpson said, he read the Bible and he says, everybody screwed up in that book except one guy, you know? And so like, I really think that's a powerful, clear way of reading the Bible. If you're walking away from the Bible and not being mesmerized by that reality that it's a story that there is no hero except one. And the scriptures don't present the church in this heroic light. It presents the church as broken people that deeply need redemption. And in this moment, we're seeing the church have an experience where the kingdom is present in the church, through the church, but it's not fully present. There's still brokenness. This dynamic has caused a state of affairs that for some of you, you may be aware of these terms that are very popular now. Many people are experiencing what they call deconstruction. 
where they're deconstructing their faith. Why? Because they've experienced immense hurt in church settings. Utterly painful things. You know, whenever I get an opportunity to interact with someone who doesn't follow Jesus, I light up and I ask a bunch of questions and I'm really engaged because underneath it all, I'm like, I want to know how you are doing this thing called life because I am trusting in the one who defeated death and I still feel like I'm holding on, you know? So how are you doing this without Jesus? I'm very curious and I'm keenly interested in their stories. And nine times out of 10, when we get to Jesus and following Jesus, I'll hear some form of, I'm interested in Jesus, but not so much the church because of hypocrisy they've seen and hurt. I think for us, one of the most helpful things, a posture we can grow in is to not try to excuse the church, not try to justify it or like explain it away, own it. Say, yes, historically, we have missed it so many times. And we still miss it now. Rather than denying it or trying to sugarcoat it, we have missed being a, a clear representation of Jesus so many times. I think it's important for us to know that there is never justification for abuses, misuses of scripture. Never. We need to own it. We need to confess when we are wrong as the people of God. And at the same time, we need to own the fact that apparently hypocrisy and disobedience have been part of the unfolding story of the church from the beginning. You know, I, I would hear, I've heard many times over the years, I wish I lived during the time of the early church. The church was so alive. So many great things, and I don't disagree. It would have been fascinating. But also, did you read what we just read? <laughs> this was part of the first church. You had people dying in church services. You had the poor, widows, being neglected because of race. The church exists to be a signpost to the kingdom of God. We exist to be in this world and point people to the reign and rule of Jesus. But in the midst of that, I think we should manage our expectations and know that in this church, you are likely going to meet some really intense sinners. Like real ones. Not dress rehearsal sinners, no, the real ones. They're fully committed. They are fully playing the part. Broken people. People that desperately need Jesus to redeem them and work out his sanctification in them. People that miss it. People that are broken. People that have habits and patterns they're trying to unwind, that they still have vestiges of the past all around them, even though they have this new life in Jesus. And out of that comes some really 
unfortunate misses. What do we do with this reality? That in the church, we will see evidences of the kingdom of God present, and we will also see evidences of the absence of his rule. There's a tension. I would argue that a healthy relationship with this tension is to realize that whenever we see hypocrisy and disobedience, that is where we need to pray for the kingdom to come. If you're wondering where you need to pray and what you need to pray about, pay attention to where you see the absence of the rule of Jesus. And that's where we should direct our prayers to. If we see the absence of the rule of Jesus in our relationships, let's pray the kingdom to come there. If we see the absence of the rule of Jesus in our relationship to money or career or habits or whatever, wherever we see the king is not presently ruling here, that's where we need to pray that the kingdom would come. And so what do we do? When we acknowledge that this will always be present, it was present from the beginning. The kingdom was present, but it was also not fully there within the church. And it's a reality now. And we have to figure out how to live with this tension. And thankfully, the scriptures give us the most amazing resource for us to live with this tension. I want to draw our eyes to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and onward. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've, we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I, I would encourage you to sit with this passage this week. Make it part of your prayer time. And allow it to move your heart to what we read here. It says one of the things that happens when the word of God is in us, it makes us honest about our sin. It says the truth is not in us if we deceive ourselves and act as if we have not sinned. 
Another way of thinking about this in light of what we're talking about, if we're not honest about the areas where the church is resisting the rule and reign of Jesus, then the truth is not fully in us. We need to own where the kingdom is not yet fully present. In this place of confession and honesty, if you, if you follow the, the, the pull of this, of this verse, one of the ways that God makes us holy is by first making us honest. You can't be holy unless you're honest. And his word makes us honest. It helps us to see where we've missed it. And in our life together as a church, we have to grow in honesty about where we've missed it and where we don't see the kingdom present so that we could then yearn for it. For the rest of our lives, we're going to have to grow in confession, faith, and repentance if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, if we're going to be honest about the places where we miss it, where the kingdom is not present, where we might be actively resisting the rule and reign of Jesus, like we saw in Acts 5 and Acts 6, confessing, turning from that, yearning for the kingdom to come in those areas. When I think about the journey of our church, my own journey and the journey of many people I know that follow Jesus, probably the, 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 the moments of greatest breakthrough and growth are the moments where we acknowledge Jesus is not ruling in this area and we need him to. Let's confess, let's repent, let's turn. Marriages turn around when that happens. Relationships turn around when that happens. We see neighbors differently when that happens. For the rest of our life, we manage this tension by acknowledging, confessing, praying, repenting whenever we see the absence of the kingdom of God in our life as well as in the world. We do this in ourselves. We do this within the church. But we also do this as we look outward in the world. If you've been paying attention to the news, the last couple weeks have had horrific news stories. A few weeks ago, there was mass shooting in Monterey Park in California in a historically Asian-American community. And for many Asian-Americans, this moment stirred up intense fear. We're being targeted again. Just look at the last couple years, and the last couple years have just highlighted it. It's violence and hatred toward Asian Americans is not a new phenomenon. When we, when we see that, we need the kingdom to come. The rule and reign of Jesus is not there. And yet again, we learned of another African-American man, Tyre Nichols. And I would encourage you to not watch the video. It's traumatic. But the audio, apparently, 
we hear another time where an African-American man is begging, I just want to go home. Another instance of police brutality, a system that needs the kingdom of God to come. We're not anti-police, but we are anti-abuse of power. That's not the kingdom of God. All around us, all around our world, we see evidences of where the kingdom is not yet present. And we need to cry out for his kingdom to come. But also, all around us, we see evidences of his kingdom being present as well. I see evidences of the kingdom of God in our church all the time. They give me so much comfort, so much encouragement in this really broken world to be reminded that he overcame death. He rose and he breathed life into dead people and made this family called the church. And though broken, we get to be a part of seeing his kingdom usher into this world. Whether it's healing, it's advocacy, whether it's, it's when we push back against injustice, when we fight the strain of the world that pushes us toward isolation and, and ultra-independence and we say, no, we're a new, a new humanity and we're together. I, I'll, I'll bring it even lower. The fact that each of you pushes through every single week despite all the things that you have set up against you, and yet you show up, you show up in community, in small groups, you come and worship, you serve. That is the kingdom of God breaking through in our lives. When you keep being on top of your relationships and refuse to be bitter and to be divisive and actually want to grow in community with others, when you continually bring your life before God and say, these things don't belong to me. My very breath doesn't belong to me. I'm yours. You're my king. Conform me into your image. That is the kingdom present. And it's growing and it's expanding. And we live within that tension. As I invite us to stand and the worship team to come forward, I want to invite us to pray some really specific prayers. As we do so, in these next few moments, the prayer team is going to be in the back, to my right, to your left. And at any given moment during these, this time of worship and response, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer for anything that you need prayer for. The words that were shared, the message may have stirred something. Whatever you need prayer for, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer over these next few moments. But could I invite us, if you feel comfortable, could I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? And I want to invite you to pray two prayers. Where do you see the kingdom of God present in your life, in our church, in our world? Could I invite you to pray to King Jesus and say, 
may your kingdom come even more. Increase your rule. Increase your reign. Pray that over your life, over our church, over our city, over our nation. We see you working. We see you at work. We cry out for more. In your own words, pray that prayer. Cry out for more of his kingdom, his rule, his reign. But I want to invite you to pray another prayer as well. Where in your life, in our church, in our world, do you see the absence of his rule? Where do you see King Jesus not being King Jesus, where we resist his reign? Could I invite us to pray for his kingdom to come in those areas? Lord, may your kingdom come in the lives of our children, our teenagers. May your kingdom come in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. May your kingdom come in police precincts and in schools, in hospitals, in community boards. May your kingdom come in new developments in our city and may your kingdom come in areas that have been forgotten and marginalized. May your kingdom come where we see extreme poverty, homelessness. May your kingdom come where we see unbridled wealth and a disregard for the poor. May your kingdom come in everything in between. Jesus, let's cry out to God together. Let's worship him. Let's yearn for the kingdom to come for it to increase in our time, in our life.